This is The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. David is the senior pastor of Calvary Chapel Casa Grande in Casa Grande, Arizona. He was about to do in the following chapters, what he's going to be giving them are clear, good directions to the believer's life. And he doesn't want them to ignore the directions. He doesn't want the believer to think that they can figure this out on their own. Because he knows, again, that left to ourselves, we'll mess up. We default back to the natural, and we will mess up. When we accept Jesus as our Savior, when we decide to believe in the message of the Gospel, when we receive salvation, it's accomplished by grace through faith. It's not a work of our flesh. The fact of the matter is that no one can save themselves. Well, in today's message, Pastor David will remind us of that. He'll also give us a warning that the grace of God isn't a one-time thing. It's a continuous and ongoing resource for us. We can't fall back and rely on our flesh. Let's join Pastor David in the book of Ephesians, chapter 4, verse 1, for part one of our message entitled, A Walk Worthy of Our Calling. The fact is, is this. I've been known to make mistakes in the past. There's been a lot of occasions in my life that I've messed up. And when we look at this, when we understand, I think all of us would agree that this world, the society we live in, the world that we live in, the culture we live in, the very fact that we're made out of flesh and blood gives us multitude of opportunities to mess up. It gives us multitudes of opportunities to, to make mistakes, to do things the wrong way, to, to simply foul up in life. As a matter of fact, if we're not paying attention, if we're not really focused, if we're not purposefully looking to make the right choices, guess what? We usually foul up. Because our flesh is that way. Our flesh tends to kind of go its own way and its own desires, not seeking the things of God. And so if we're in neutral, we're going to mess up. We're going to do the wrong things. We're not going to honor God in our lives if we're in neutral. If we're not focusing and purposefully looking and desiring to honor God in our life and in the actions of our lives, we're going to default always to the wrong choices. Now, I understand that we men, the male gender of our race, that uh, we men, we have this reputation a lot of times for not following directions, okay? I understand that. And I understand probably from the looks of some of you that you understand it too. (laughs) Guys, for the most part, you know, when we're traveling, when we're driving, we don't need maps, right? I mean, we don't need maps. We have this built-in DNA of a GPS, okay? And so we don't really need the map. Okay, we just kind of go and we'll eventually get there. It may be the roundabout way, but we know where we're going. When we go to put something together, it's kind of like who needs the directions, right? Who needs the instructions for this thing? I've seen it all in one piece. I've got all the parts here. I've got my tools. I'm going to go ahead and put this thing together. The problem is, is uh, I don't know if it's the same with you, but probably it is. About uh, halfway through the project, you realize, wait a minute, this piece should have went into the project about ten steps ago. 
So it either becomes extra parts, or you figure out, maybe I can work this thing in here without disassembling everything that I misassembled. Maybe I can just make it work, or it's like, I don't know why they have that. We don't really need it. I hate to backtrack. And you would think that after I had taken so many trips and had to turn around and go back because I missed a turn or I missed a street, if you would think that after so many projects that I built that uh, came with extra parts or uh, came with parts that somehow I had to fit in later on, you would think that now I would dutifully read the directions, look at the map every time I went there. And if you thought that, guess what? You're wrong. For some reason, you know, it's just kind of that built-in thing that says, I can handle this. I can do this on my own. And, beloved, that's what happens in the Spirit so many times with us. It doesn't matter how many times we foul up in life. So many times we as believers think, I got this one, God. I can handle this one. And we default back to the messes. We default back to the failures. Man, left to himself, without direction and purpose, will fail. And oh, by the way, that also goes for woe man. (laughs) Left to ourselves, we will fail. And this is no truer in any other place than in our Christian walk. That's why it's so important for everyone who professes the Lord Jesus as their Lord and as their Savior. That's why it's so important for them that they be a student of this word. Beloved, this is the road map. This is the the directions that you and I, that we all need to be able to get where we're going, to be able to put together what we've been called to have in our lives. And that's why it's so important as we look at it. It's the Word of God that's the instruction and the directions of our lives. It's through the Word of God that we read about the warnings, about all the pitfalls that are right there in front of every one of us. That we need to, again, be aware of those and we need to avoid them. That's why someone somewhere along the line put together the word Bible as an acronym for Basic Instructions Before Leaving Earth. B-I-B-L-E, Basic Instructions Before Leaving Earth. That's what it's there for. And that's why in the book of Ephesians that we're in this morning, beginning in chapter 4 through chapter 6, Paul gives us these instructions. In chapters 1, 2, and 3, Paul spoke to us about our position in Christ. And now in chapters 4, 5, and 6, he's going to speak to us about the practice of our Christian life. And in these next three chapters, 4, 5, and 6, he's going to give us the instructions. He's going to give us the directions that we need. And he's going to share with us warnings and pitfalls that are in our life. And these aren't the kind of instructions, they're not the kind of directions that you and I would ignore. As a matter of fact, we need to pay great heed to it. Look with me this morning. Ephesians chapter 4, we're going to begin in verse 1. Paul writes to us and he says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy 
of the calling with which you're called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. He starts out with a really familiar-sounding phrase. He says, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord. We read that in a lot of Paul's writings. He declares that he's a prisoner of the Lord. But we also see it just a little while ago in, in chapter 3, the very beginning of chapter 3, when in chapter 3 he says, For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for you Gentiles. And suddenly then he kind of jumps from that, and he goes on to explain the mystery of the gospel coming to the Gentiles and the fact that he was appointed as a messenger of that mystery to the Gentiles. And I feel what's going on here is Paul makes this statement at the beginning of chapter 3, the fact that he is the prisoner of Christ Jesus for you Gentiles. And in the midst of that, he feels this further instruction, this clarity that needs to come in about the mystery that he had spoken of earlier. I believe that the statement he was getting ready to make in chapter 3, he actually picks up again in chapter 4. So chapter 3, there's this great parenthesis, this, this great kind of uh, sidebar of what he's saying. But then in chapter 4, verse 1, he picks it up again when he says, I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. And we've already discussed the issues of, of Paul's imprisonment, the fact that Paul was uh, in house arrest in Rome when he wrote the book of Ephesians. We've talked about that a lot. We talked about not only was he in prison with real steel chains upon him, but also Paul was a voluntary prisoner to his Lord Jesus. That's something that he had surrendered his life to and he desired in his life. He was bound by the steel chains of Rome, but he was more fully bound by his passion for Christ and his desire to be found faithful to Jesus. He was a prisoner of the Lord because of his great love and because of his desire to serve the Lord in every aspect of his life. So now as a prisoner of the Lord, it says he beseeches. It's an interesting word. In, in the Greek, it's a compound word, parakaleo, two different Greek words joined together. The first one being para. Para has the meaning of alongside of or in proximity with. We get our words like paralegal. Uh, they're, they're not really a lawyer. They assist lawyers. They're with lawyers. Paramedics, not a, a complete doctor. They're with the doctors. Para. The second word of this compound word is kaleo, and kaleo means to call or to beckon, to draw near. As a straight translation of that word, it's got a lot of meanings. It means to call near or to invite, to call for, or even to pray. And in the context, though, of this passage, I believe that it has much more intensity. As a matter of fact, multiple translations, your translation with you this morning, may use words like, I beg of you, or I entreat you, or I plead, I implore you. Parakaleo comes with this idea of importance of what he's going to ask them to do. It's much, much more than just a casual request where it says, hey, listen, you know, I as a prisoner of the Lord, I kind of suggest that you guys, you know, if you really want to do this right. And here's, here's a couple of suggestions for it. That's not how he puts it. He uses a word that says, man, I beg of you. 
I plead with you. Walk worthy of the calling that's in your life. He's going to ask them something of utmost importance as believers. And it's the magnitude of this request that literally will reach well beyond most people's comfort level, including yours and mine. Because he's saying you need to get out of yourself and you need to live your life wholly and completely under the authority and under the direction of the Spirit of God in your life. And he says, man, I beg of you. I plead with you. Walk in a worthy manner. There's an urgency about what Paul is requesting here. He's saying, again, the importance of all of this to walk worthy. Now, I don't know about you, but I think Paul was pretty serious with his request to the church here. He was about to do in the following chapters, what he's going to be giving them are clear, good directions to the believer's life. And he doesn't want them to ignore the directions. He doesn't want the believer to think that they can figure this out on their own. Because he knows, again, that left to ourselves, we'll mess up. We default back to the natural, and we will mess up. Do you think that maybe as Paul writes this, that maybe he's speaking out of experience as he's seen other individual lives that didn't look for and didn't live by the directions? Do you think that maybe Paul in his experience in the Lord and in his experience in in planting churches and nurturing and challenging churches has probably seen more than one or two or three that have tried to live the Christian life without following the directions, without looking for the instructions. And he's seen them crash and burn because of this. He's seen them get off on the wrong road. He's seen them with incomplete lives because they've failed to do what the Word of God declares. Do you think that maybe here is a father and a brother in the faith, a man with a true pastor's heart, that he's concerned about the believers? He's concerned that they follow the right path from the beginning. Concerned that they wouldn't have to stop midway in their life and go back and put pieces back in order, literally rebuilding what should have been right to begin with. Some of you here this morning, I know that you've got within your life places that you've gotten off track, places that, man, you you thought everything was going well, then all of a sudden you're way over here and you wonder, how in the world did I get there? How, How did this happen to me? Well, if you think long enough, you'll know exactly where and how that happened. But as you come back on track, you realize that even with that coming back on track, there's still luggage now that you're carrying that you didn't have before. There's scars that you have that you didn't have before. Now, God brings healing in that. God brings release in all that. But, beloved, I know that we can carry uh, this luggage. We carry these scars that, man, we, we should have never had to deal with. But because we got on the wrong track, because we lost focus, because we didn't follow the instructions, we ended up with all these spare parts we're carrying around or these scars or the fact that we got off track. Paul is concerned about the path of their lives, that they would be worthy of the calling of God in their lives. And before we go any further, let's look at that idea, that thought of calling, the calling 
Personally, I believe that he's speaking of the calling of God. I don't think there's any way other than uh, looking at it as the calling of God within their lives, in each individual believer's life. That's in each one of your lives that are here. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, God has a calling in your life. And he is saying, you need to walk worthy of that calling that God has in your life. We only need to go back really to the first chapter here in Ephesians because, again, as we have all of the Word of God, I believe that Ephesians uh, is one of those books, too, that has so much there that there is a completeness about that. But all we need to do is go back to the first chapter and look there to see what this calling of God is all about. I want to go back just real quickly to touch base in a couple of things in speaking about the calling that's on the believer's life. Back in chapter 1 of Ephesians, bounce down to verse 3, he says... God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. We've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies. Beloved, that's for you. If you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies is yours, according to God's Word. And it's either true or it's a lie. And if it's a lie, we might as well just kind of button it all up, turn the lights out, and go watch football the rest of the day. Does it connect with you? Does it connect with you, the greatness of that gift of God in your life? Does it really hold any real value to you? Or do you read through things like that and say, well, yeah, that's good, that's good. Oh, that's, that's exciting. Yeah. Now let's move on. What's for lunch? Or does it really and truly connect that God is poured out and made available to you and I as believers with all of our failings, with all of our faults, with all of our messes that God has poured out into our lives every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies. But it doesn't stop there, does it? Look at verses 4 through 6. Verse 4, he says, just as he chose us in him. That is so awesome. He chose us knowing who we were, knowing every mess of our lives, every failure in our lives, every fault of our life, every weakness of our life, and yet he chose us. I don't know about you, but I wouldn't choose me. And he knows more about me even than I do. Because I seek to forget a few things from the past, and I don't know about tomorrow, and yet he knows everything about me, and yet he chooses, and he calls me to himself. He says that in verse 5 that he's predestined us to adoption, and adoption, again, speaks of that choice. <laughs> it's like the saying is, is uh, you can pick your friends, but your family you're stuck with. You know, you're, there, you're just born into that. Well, God picked us. God chose us, and that's pretty awesome. If you understand that he knows all of those things. Verse 6, he says, he made us accepted in the beloved. What a great and glorious calling is ours. We are accepted in the beloved. In the beloved. Who is the beloved? Jesus Christ. And when I am in Christ, I am accepted fully and completely. I am part of the family of God. I am part of the kingdom of God in the beloved, in Christ. Not of my own works, not of my own abilities, but in Christ. These things ought to move us. They ought to move us with passion and love for God that we would walk worthy of the calling with which we've been called. Still in chapter 1, down in verse 7. And this, I believe verse 7 ought to be one of those most 
powerful motivators in our Christian life. Verse 7, he says, In him we have redemption through his blood. The fact is that Christ died for us. He took the payment for us. He gave his life for us. He left his throne in glory. As Philippians tells us, man, he took upon himself human flesh and was obedient to the Father all the way to the point of the cross. We have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. What an amazing situation this now puts us in. We were held captive by our sins, but he paid the ransom to redeem us. He paid the ransom in order to break that bondage of sin and death. And that's what redemption is. He paid the price. We were captives. We were prisoners because of sin, because of death. He paid the price to release us from captivity. This sin in our lives was that that separated us from relationship with God, the one true, the almighty God of the universe. And that sin through Christ was forgiven. And all of that was according to the riches of His grace. Not because you deserved it. Because I'm going to tell you right now, I know many of you, and of the ones I know, I know you don't deserve it. (laughs) And my best guess beyond that is none of us deserve it. From the best of us to the worst of us, we all fall short of the glory of God. We've been set free. We've been redeemed and forgiven. That's the calling that's in our lives. Paul goes on, and just real quickly in in chapter 2, he says, And you he made alive, you who were dead in trespasses and sins. Even, verse 5, even when you were dead in trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. And he says, by grace you've been saved. Not only were we dead, and he made us alive, he made us alive together in Christ. Not only were we dead, and we've been made alive, but now we've been raised up. Verse 6 says that we've been raised up together, made to sit together in the heavenly places with Christ. And on and on he goes, not only chapter 1, but chapter 2, here in this beautiful book of Ephesians. But suffice it to say that we've been given a great and a glorious call in our lives, from death to life, from separation from God to relationship with God, from facing the judgment of God to now knowing God as our loving Father, from eternal destruction to now eternal life. These These things, beloved, they ought to motivate us. It ought to cause a difference in our life if we take time to meditate on the reality and the truth of these words. It's from this understanding, it's from these things that Paul has just written that he comes in chapter 3 and he says, it's for this reason. But then he doesn't complete his thoughts until you get to chapter 4. And he says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, I beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you are called. Back in chapter 4, verses 2 to 3, Paul gives us what I look at as, 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 as five abbreviated declarations of how this life ought to look. How my life that is walking in a way that's worthy of that call ought to look. He says in verse 2, he says that we would walk with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in 
love. And then in verse 3, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. That first word, quickly, is lowliness. Some of your versions might translate the word as with all humility or in complete selflessness. It's the same idea. It's the same understanding. But this isn't some false or debasing humility that says, oh, well, you know, I'm just like nothing at all. No, this is the reality and the truth that says, you know what, I am nothing at all. There's no importance in my life outside of Christ. Unfortunately, that's all the time we have for today. You've been listening to The Open Word, the teaching ministry of Pastor David Landry of Calvary Chapel Casa Grande in Casa Grande, Arizona. To learn more about The Open Word, visit our website at theopenword.com. You can download today's teaching or subscribe to The Open Word Podcast. Subscribing to The Open Word Podcast is the best way to stay up to date with all the latest messages from David. To subscribe, log on to theopenword.com, click on the podcast option on the homepage, or simply search for The Open Word in the iTunes Store. You can also give us a call if you'd like. That number to call is 520-836-9676. That's 520-836-9676. Another option to get in touch with us is to send us an email. Our email address is info at theopenword.com. That's info at theopenword.com. When you contact us, please let us know the call letters of the station you heard The Open Word on and how today's broadcast has blessed you. Your feedback helps us know the Lord's direction for this ministry. Once again, you've been listening to The Open Word with Pastor David Landry of Calvary Chapel in Casa Grande, Arizona. In the next edition of The Open Word, David will continue teaching through God's Word. So please make plans to join us again and may God richly bless you.